Stephen Kubaki, as I love to say, very literally blipped out of existence while cross-country skiing in Michigan. One second he was there, and the next, poof, he was gone. To further the mystery, Stephen later went on to write a book that mathematically breaks down the concept of quantum leaping. Think Ant-Man or Spider-Man? We went deep into the discussion of paranormal influences and the missing 411 cases possibly correlating with the cave systems in America. Now we need to analyze what could possibly be happening right under our feet. Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Haunted Detective Podcast. I'm your favorite host, Kelsey Childs, but everyone calls me the paranormal Sherlock Holmes. Who calls you that? I don't. Everyone. No. Wait. Pamela? Kelsey? And with us today is my best friend and confidant, the Miss Pamela J. She's going to be our new co-host moving forward. As well as your also fellow certified lunatic. Yeah, I think that makes both of us. So I feel like this is going to be an interesting, an interesting thing. It's fine. We love educated lunatics. Educated lunatics. I like that. I think I'm (laughs) going to call you that from now on. I love it. Okay. Stick with it. So, Pamela, are you ready to jump down the rabbit hole of episode four on Stephen Kubaki's case? Mentally, probably not, but let's do it. All right. Moving forward, you guys are going to notice that there's going to be remastered in front of old episodes. This is because we heard your feedback and we're taking it very seriously. So we are going to be re-recording season two with Pamela. So without further ado, to keep our promise of less discussion and interruptions, Let's open the case file of Season 2, Episode 4 of Stephen Kubaki's Case. First, let's break down the modern-day multiverse theory. All of our Marvel fans will absolutely love this. In a book written by physicist Alan Lightman called The Accidental Universe, he quotes theoretical physicist Steven Weinberg as such, The multiverse idea offers an explanation of why we find ourselves in a universe favorable to life. It's pretty much the god of theoretical physicists. Basically, our world or universe was created in such perfect precision that some experts find it enticing that we even exist at all. Edwin Hubble's discovery also goes into the multiverse conundrum. Our universe is constantly expanding, infinitely. And his question was always, well, where did it start? If it is forever growing, then we must have had a beginning. And therefore, he sought to understand I guess the origin of everything. We have a few main properties of creation that allow us to exist. Dark matter being the most fascinating, but not the only one. This is just what we're going to go into today because it's one of my favorite topics. See, that's why I don't understand like people who really dive into this stuff because you know too much. There's like a saying or something out there that's like, you know too much and then you go crazy. That's how I feel if I knew all of this information involving black matter and the creation of everything. Like, I would go mad. Well, it's like how they replicated the sound that a black hole makes and then they scared themselves. Yeah, I don't I don't want to know <laughs> the sound the black hole makes. I don't want to know that. That's going to haunt my nightmares. But like, you know, I digress. So the existence of it is so exact and perfect that any way in either direction, less or more, would simply halt all existence. This alone has confounded scientists, and to explain what it is plainly, it used to be called missing matter, because it refers to particles that don't emit or absorb light, making them impossible to see. 
A Dutch physicist, Jan Oort, theorized that it kept the stars, quote, gravitationally bound to the galaxy center. And I'm not going to lie to understand how to describe this and just basically comprehend it myself. I watched a science and astrology for dummies video, and that quote is directly from that. So (laughs) right on, right on. Basically, I'm not an expert. So if we get stuff wrong, don't hate us. This is a true crime podcast, not a science podcast. So basically, it explains how we exist and how the galaxies do not, quote, fly apart. You might be wondering why I'm bringing this up. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely wondering why, because you're talking about like physics, quantum physics. What the hell does that have to do with this? Everything. Okay, well. It will all make sense. Dark matter has been the thing that has kept quantum, astral, and theoretical physicists questioning the meaning of our creation, and if it was in fact intentional. The multiverse theory ping-pongs off of a few scientific concepts, dark matter being one of them. It gets very, very complicated with the perception of reality and time being a sequential phenomenon, but let me paraphrase the best I can. Some scientific minds theorize that our universe simply cannot be the only one, due to the infinite nature of things, and therefore many exist, quote, parallel to one another. Others believe that every past, present, and future branches off into trillions of different possible scenarios in which one tiny little thing did or did not happen. These people also tend to believe that time, past, present, and future, are all stacked on top of each other and are happening simultaneously, meaning something unnatural or unintended that happens in the future will have a ripple effect and disrupt the present and the past, vice versa. So think butterfly effect, but it goes always. I feel like every episode of TV, like a cartoon TV, has done this theory in some way. Like they've had an episode where it's like, oh, well, this is present and this is past and this is future. And then like they try to make such a complicated topic into like cartoons. One pop culture example of the multiverse and our ability to float between dimensions unintentionally is Mandela Effect. This is when a large group of people remember a specific event or detail in their life that happened when it actually didn't. There's so many examples of the Mandela effect throughout history. It's it's really a fascinating topic. It it's um another one that just you go down the rabbit hole and you don't come out for multiple years and then suddenly <laughs> you look up from your computer and you're totally derealized and you're like, "What?" Great. You know, add another one to the list. That's fine. Some examples of this are the Berenstain Bears, people remember a different spelling to their name, and then the classic Star Wars scene, what did Darth Vader say when he told Luke he was his father, Pamela? Uh, Luke, I am your father. Apparently, some people remember that, but the actual line was, no, I am your father. Fuck you, that's wrong. (laughs) No, I swear to God, like, that's no, that's not right. Okay, so hang on, hear me out. Luke, I am your father. It's on it's on t-shirts. It's on it's on memes. It, it also it sounds right. So I vote <laughs> that we change it. I'm looking it up right now because totally honestly, I have never seen Star Wars before. You know what? It's actually pretty good. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. 
I am your father. What? Shut the fuck up. There's no way. Shut the fuck up. That's not... Wow. I mean, you're right. It's on shirts. It's in memes. Like, is it actually on shirts or did I just think that it's on shirts? Okay, I'm questioning my whole existence. I gotta go. (laughs) Okay, so where am I going with this? Steven's book and research talked a lot about these topics and quantum leaping. Is that his explanation for why he vanished? Quantum leaping is such a hard thing to explain, so I would love to hear some theories if that's kind of where we're going with this. In a way. Okay. I personally think it's interesting to look into these cave systems or at least talk about them to see if there's the possibility of a portal or ley line or even past the cave systems to talk about what could really be happening in them. In our last episode, we talked about the missing 411 and that little boy who was kidnapped by what looked like his grandmother but seemed to be a robot with other shells or skins in these caves that she brought him to. So... I want to know, was that a false memory? Did something actually happen to this boy in these caves, like perhaps a government experiment or a portal? Did he go into the wrong dimension? Oh boy. Okay. We're really deep diving right now. Before we dissect those concepts, I want to talk about time travel because I think it all stacks on top of itself, right? Okay. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty big skeptic when it comes to time travel cases and people who claim to have traveled through time but you know i'm open i'm willing to hear i think you might change your mind a little bit after this episode because i did after writing it respectfully i doubt it (laughs) respectfully no (laughs) i'm ready okay i want to hear it let's do it this is a story of the man who quote slipped through time It was 2006 in Kiev, Ukraine, when a man named Sergei Ponomarenko was arrested by police for suspicious behavior. He kept asking them in a very confused manner what year it was. He told police his name and said that up until two minutes ago, it was 1958. Of course, the police were very confused and asked for his ID. Now, this is where things get a little funky-wonky. Sergei handed them a national ID card issued during the Soviet Union, which had been eradicated in 1991. The ID couldn't have been correct, police wondered, but there was his picture on the card and it looked exactly like him. It was also noted that he was dressed as if he were, in fact, from a different time. He had a 1950s film camera as well hanging around his neck. The law enforcement officials deduced that he was insane and needed psychiatric intervention, which I think that is a fair assumption. Yeah, I, I don't personally, I don't blame them for doing that. Like he he comes out with all of this whack shit and they're like, we're supposed to believe you. OK, bud. All right. There's also no specification on what his suspicious behavior was. So what I'm kind of picturing in my head is that he was going from person to person asking where he was, who they were, what year it was, and kind of... They didn't specify? (laughs) That's so vague. It is very vague, but records get lost over time. Oh, yeah. Convenient. Conveniently. If I had popped up in a different time, though, I would be, like, running around like a maniac, being like, what year is it? <laughs> what, what, what is that moving box? Yeah, what I mean, is that? I'd be flipping What's in your shit. hand? Yeah, I'd be flipping shit at that moment. So the police have, um, like, what, what's going on? 
So they sent him to Dr. Pablo Kuchikov, who recorded their sessions together in a psychiatric facility. The details were all laid out. His name was Sergei Valentinovich Ponomarenko, and he was born in 1932, which would have made him 74. The man sitting in front of Dr. Kuchikov was in his mid-20s to early 30s. Sergei then explained that he was 25, and the last thing he remembered was walking with Valentina Kurish, his fiancée. They posed for a picture and took it before he saw something unusual in the sky. It was shaped like our modern-day explanation of a UFO. He took a picture of it, and suddenly, he was in 2006. So Sergei tells him, take my camera, develop the photos, you'll see what is on this camera, because I know I took these photos. So that's what the doctor did. Dr. Kuchikov had the photos developed from the camera, but he had to seek out a photography professional because the means to develop film like that in the 21st century was extremely hard to come by. And even though that kind of film was discontinued in the 1970s, Sergei's film reel was in perfect condition. The pictures were exactly as Sergei had described, and it was kind of like a, I told you so, I fucking told you so, I'm not crazy, you're looking at the same thing I'm looking at, which I'm sure was kind of like a huge breath of fresh air for Sergei to have those pictures, and a little convenient. Do we have the pictures? I believe so, actually. I think if you Google, yeah, the picture of his ID card comes up. I'm looking at Sergey. Sergey. Sergey? I'm looking at his his photo. I'm sorry. I don't know if I believe this. It seems a little improbable. It's a little too perfect. I will give you that. So in the photos, there were pictures from 1950s Kiev. There was also a woman who was presumably his aforementioned fiance and Sergei was wearing the same clothes he did in the police station and psychiatric facility. What baffled Dr. Kuchikov the most was the picture of the UFO. The professionals involved decided to investigate the anomaly that was Sergei Ponomarenko. So during their next interview, Sergei was basically like, I fucking told you so. These photos are real. You can, you can look at me in 1950s Kiev and see that I'm not from this time. But it was overshadowed by his, like, persistent confusion. He was described consistently as being just, like, out of sorts and, like, huh? Which, honestly, if I blipped to a different time, I'd be feeling the same way. If this is true, first off, I would definitely feel a little crazy. Like, I'd be like, why are you not listening to me? Listen the fuck up. <laughs> Shut up and listen! <laughs> Look at my shit, dude! Later that evening, he is seen on the facility's security cameras going into his assigned room. And I want to take a pause here, a beat, and just, Pamela, because you have experience working in psychiatric facilities or alongside them when you worked on cold case teams, etc. How hard is it to escape a room like that? Uh, I'd say those rooms are very safe due to the fact that the doors are always locked. There's usually someone doing rounds. Security has eyes on the cameras and windows sometimes aren't inside, uh, depending on what year we're talking about. But the windows are secure if there are any. Yeah, so this facility in particular has steel bars on all of the windows. So I asked you that for a reason, because him walking into his room 
was the last time he was seen in 2006. The cameras in the hall stayed quiet. They did not record him leaving that room at all. He simply vanished. Bullshit. (laughs) There's no, I'm sorry. That's bullshit. He didn't just vanish. There was no gap in the security footage. It all played straight through via the police report and the facility's report. He went into the room and he never came out. And the next they checked, the room was empty. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if 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 he really did vanish, let's say that this is real. I want to be proven wrong. I really do. It turns out it's not that simple. He didn't quite disappear. When police opened a missing persons investigation into him, they found a police report declaring him missing in 1960. They decided to go find Valentina Kurish, who was now an older woman in her 70s. With the picture from Sergei's camera, they were able to positively ID her. She verified that Sergei had disappeared for a couple of days in 1958, but he eventually returned home claiming that he could see the future and that he had been to it as well. So those days that he disappeared in 1958 also lined up with the days that he was in 2006, down to like a T. The day he came back is the day he disappeared out of his room in the psychiatric facility. Oh, okay. Weird. Okay. (laughs) All right. He was even interviewed on national television. He was able to tell them about cell phones and provided a picture of him in the future. The photograph was from 2050. Sergei was noticeably older in this shop, but there was no doubt that he was in a Kiev that did not yet exist in 1958 or 2006. There were skyscrapers behind him that had not been built yet. She claimed that the last time she saw him was in 1970, when he jumped through time one last time. He has yet to return. What? He's just gone? He's just gone. (laughs) What the fuck? No. So he vanished to a different time? Mm -hmm. Like, did he appear anywhere else in time? Not that we're aware of. There's no other written record or recorded record, I guess, of him being in any other time just in 2006. But 2050 hasn't happened yet. Convenient. I mean, they very easily could have said, like, 2020, because in 2006, that was as far off. So 2050? I'm such an evidence-based person. Like, I got to see it. I got to see what's... I got to see the problem. I got to see the evidence. And I just don't believe this. I don't. I want to. A lot of experts have claimed to officially debunk this time-traveling story through the ID, film quality, and Photoshopped images, saying that, like, the 2050 picture is Photoshopped, but nothing is definitive. So we debunked it, but we didn't debunk it. There's nothing definitive, nothing that's been officially proven. And until it is officially proven, then it's not definitive. But it seems as though it has been debunked. Okay. All right. I'll take that. My whole thing is that it's just, it's too perfect. Nothing ever happens that perfectly. Yeah. I mean, he vanished at the most convenient times before anyone could really get any answers. So I'm like, "Mm, run that back. So the reason I'm bringing up time travel and Sergey is because it leads into our next topic. Everyone has always been fascinated with time travel. It's been a thing that we've seen as 
something we need to attain one day. So to go further down the rabbit hole, even further, let's go face first. It's no secret that the U.S. government has experimented on people throughout history and rather, I think unethical is an understatement, but unethical ways. What, what is the government doing? Okay, so first, to further dissect Stephen's sudden blip, as I love to say, the cave systems and his connection with quantum physics, we should talk about it, you know? Like, we should talk about it. And to be honest, we are still terribly unclear on who the victims of these experiments were. So it's possible, given the year he disappeared, the years that these experiments were going on, that he could have been one of them. And we would never know. Okay. All right. Well, let's see. There might be the Freedom of Information Act, but is there the freedom of information? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think we know everything. Well, I mean, it's not our place to know everything, but like... I think it's impossible to know everything. I think that if they're experimenting on people, we need to know. I also think that there has to be something to do with these cave systems, right? So, again, to bring it back to that little boy, what if he was seeing his grandma as a robot because he was actually, and this is going to sound crazy, maybe not to some people, but coming out of my own mouth, it's sounding a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. What if he was actually kidnapped by the government and because little kids, they, they do this thing, they're so impressionable that they insert in different images when something traumatic happens? What if he was taken by the government? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we're not insinuating anything, government. No. We're not insinuating anything. We love the CIA. So, like I said before, everyone is fascinated with time travel. Sergei Ponomarenko, true or fake, proved that. Because if it was true, yay, woo, that's cool. But if it's fake, it shows the lengths at which people will go to try to simulate time travel and convince the masses that it is possible. Now, the CIA also loves time travel. Great. All of this that I we're going to be discussing comes from unclassified CIA documents. You can go to CIA.gov. And we mentioned the Freedom of Information Act because of that during the whole Watergate hoo-ha going on. We can look at these documents of things that they did and read them and like I've done here, write about them to talk about on a podcast. So for all those who are curious for more information, CIA.gov, you can look into these these documents. So this all goes back to Robert Monroe from New York, who in 1958, wait a second, 1958. Same year. (laughs) Same year. Okay. Started having episodes where his incorporeal form would leave his physical body and travel to a different place that didn't follow the same laws of time or space. This led to him writing a book in 1971 called, quote, Journeys Out of the Body. Monroe believed that certain frequencies, beats, and tones could trigger an anomaly in someone's brainwaves. He then received a patent for his work in creating something called the FFR, which is Frequency Following Response. This basically led him to witness, through the FFR, how certain beats and frequencies would cause the two hemispheres of someone's brain to synchronize and communicate in unusual ways. He was able to control people's brainwaves through this. So I I think you can maybe see where this is going. So did he basically find a way to trigger a 
like the human brain to go into a lucid dreaming state. We'll get into that. But when I say the two hemispheres of someone's brain to synchronize, so our brain, the two different sides, left and right, are working on a totally separate basis. They don't really, like, they communicate, but they don't communicate, but the brain waves and the output and input is completely different. He found a way, apparently, to make the brain work as, like, one single hemisphere and these two sides to communicate with each other to, like, enhance everything. Oh, okay. That's really creepy. Yeah. I'm not, I, I do want to clarify, I'm not saying that our, we have two very different sides of our brains that, that don't talk to each, like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is our two sides of our brain are for completely different tasks and, yeah, I guess, intellectual input and processing. One side's for creative, visual, the other side's for data, analytics, numbers, etc. So that's more what I'm saying is he was able to enhance. Huh. Okay. This basically led him to witness through the FFR how certain beats and frequencies would cause the two hemispheres of someone's brain to synchronize and communicate in unusual or unnatural ways. He was able to control people's brain waves through this. So thanks to this patent and theory, he founded the Monroe Institute of Applied Sciences in 1971. He hired a board of respected professionals in each scientific discipline. They basically made a program for up to 20 people who would engage in normal day-to-day -day activities in their facilities in the Blue Ridge Mountains. But multiple times a day, these people would go into a dark room on separate beds, put on headphones, and just lay there, listening to the sounds he created while they were projected to them. I don't think his goal was to make people time travel or slip out of their dimension. He wanted to open people's minds up to greater capabilities by training their brain's capability to perceive and communicate with itself. He was literally trying to expand someone's consciousness or knowledge out of their physical body and perception. He referred to this as, quote, switching people's perception to areas or fields outside of the realm of our physical matter reality or non-physical realities in order to expand the capabilities of, like I said, their consciousness. It sounds like he had some pretty non-ill intent behind his research. It, Yeah, he just wanted to understand why this thing had happened to him, how he can make it happen again, but in other people, in order to study, I guess, what our brains are capable of. So it sounds like this guy was really trying to like, he didn't have an ill intent when no. researching into these people's minds and, like, trying to recreate something. So, I guess, since he didn't have any ill intent, where does the CAA come into play? I mean, I will say he just wanted to understand, like, the human brain better and understand yeah. why this thing had happened to him in 1958. I will say experimenting on people, even consensually, is a morally gray area. That's why we love informed consent in the psychological field. <laughs> but to answer your question, the documents I learned this from were actually released to civilians and the entirety of Congress after several decades of being a tightly bound secret because of the CIA's experiments that kind of ping-ponged off of it called the Gateway Experience. Oh, boy. So basically these... 
unclassified documents, yeah, they might have released them, but they didn't make them easy for us to understand. They basically explain things in a circular fashion. It's like I'm looking at a gray wall right now. If they were to describe this wall in their documents, they would be like, this wall is dark in color and also kind of textured. It is devoid of most light, but not all. And some is dark, but some is void of light. While it has white patches in it and scuffs from wear and tear and normal use, the wall is dark and definitely not white. Instead of just saying, the wall is gray and has some white texture in it. They they take this like circular route to describe everything. And I, I, I think they do it on purpose. But again, Pamela, you're more used to reading legal documents than I am. So I'm sure you see this more often than not. I mean, when it comes to the CIA, they are a different breed. <laughs> like, I <laughs> will be honest. I, they're something. They're something else. Can you say unrestrained power? Unrestrained power. Yay! Yay! So to go further into their gateway experience, experiment, whatever you want to call it, the gateway program, I read an article on a website called Medium, and it was quoted perfectly by the author Matthew Lillywhite, and he described it in the best way I possibly could. Quote, the gateway experience is a training system designed to bring enhanced strength, focus, and coherence to the amplitude and frequency of brainwave output between the left and right hemispheres as to alter consciousness, moving it outside the physical sphere so as to ultimately escape even the restrictions of time and space. So again, they have power. They want more power. They don't want to be limited by any sort of scientific concept. Limitation is for the weak. <laughs> we don't do limitation in the CIA. Fuck limitation. Their program, and I use that word very loosely, was created based on the experiments done by the Monroe Institute. They claim that they were able to, as they call it, hemi-sync someone's brain to the point where they literally alter their conscious states, which freed them from their physical reality to literally become pure energy. This is just one of many grandeur confessions the CIA made. And let me summarize, they said that the people they, and I would say unethically, experimented on when not bound by the scientific laws of their physical bodies were able to, quote, influence the development of reality in time space as it applies to us if those thoughts can be projected with adequate intensity, end quote. Okay, then. <laughs> They they were even like, yeah, bro, we did time travel. We time traveled, dude. And then everyone was like, what? Oh, my God. And of course, their goal for time travel was say it with me. Uh, selfish reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's like a better way to explain it. Like <laughs> they they wanted it for military opportunity and that they, they wanted to change the course of history. We can't just exist, you know? We can't just live, laugh, love anymore. Yeah, we just... God forbid. God forbid we don't feel like we're in a simulation because of shit like this. Back to reality. Okay. To further the weirdness around quantum physics and the CIA, we need to talk about the remote viewing program, another experiment loosely called program that the CIA did. Quote, You're traveling through another dimension. 
a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. Rod Sterling, The Twilight Zone. This is the opening line to the unclassified documents from the CIA for the remote viewing program. And it's very telling. Remote viewing. Remote from where, CIA? Well, from not behind enemy lines, (laughs) basically. And I I will take it from there. (laughs) They begin the paper by talking about the psychological phenomena of remote viewing, which is very similar to their fuckery in the Gateway Project. Again, in italics. When your consciousness detaches from your body, allowing you to float around and watch things as an energy form like a fly on a wall, that's remote viewing. It was first studied in the Soviet Union as a means of bodiless traveling, meaning your mind will be in one place while your body is secure in another, allowing them to gather information and spy on other people or enemy soldiers. How is that information reliable, though? Um, listen, somebody's brain, right? Your brain is active 24-7, so your mind also can create things that aren't there. So how can this be a reliable means of bodiless traveling and to be a fly on the wall to use this for military gain when in reality, is your brain as trustworthy? What like what deems a person's brain to be trust for, trustworthy for bodiless travel? I think extensive training. And I would say that if... I mean, yeah, Russia is a little, as we learned last season, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. But I mean, even if they're using it in a militaristic way, then they must have found some success with it. I mean, there's no denying the fact that the military in multiple countries experiments on their soldiers and seamen and etc. So it's not a far cry to say that They took some people in their military, isolated them, trained their brains, and then attempted to enact this. Okay. Yikes. They then go on to talk about how parapsychology is way too often overlooked by intelligence agencies, and they should be more open to the concept of remote viewing. They also believe, and this one's a doozy, that countermeasures should be set up in order to prevent remote viewing from affecting America's national security in any way. Even in this document, they refer to the Monroe Institute as if that is the foundation for all of their psychic experiments. And I'm I'm sure that this poor dude founding this, like, scientific program never thought that the CIA would be like, we're going to use this shit and we're going to we're going to experiment on people with your concepts. <laughs> yeah, I mean if he didn't if he didn't want this, like I could only imagine the like, damn, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> Even though it wasn't his fault, but like, damn. Or he agreed to it. I mean, yeah, I guess we don't know. Would he have a choice? Probably not, honestly. And then in 1970, Harold Puthoff and Russell Targ were able to conduct some controlled experiments, which convinced some agencies that remote viewing was in fact a tool that could be advantageous. They found psychics who were willing to sit in a room with one of the scientists, while the other would be a long distance away, a place unbeknownst to the, quote, subject. They would then be tasked with using their skills to see the area the other man was in and describe it down to the very last detail. And when I say 
down to the very last detail, I mean cracks on the floor, missing paint, uh, graffiti, what, whatever it might be, like I'm sitting in this room and there's a scuff on the floor, they would be tasked to describe that much detail. In most of the studies, the psychics would be 100% correct about every little detail. But for a lot of professionals, there still wasn't enough hard data to convince them that this was possible. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't really think that this is is possible. I think that it's it could be close. But since I'm not I'm not there, I'm not witnessing this. Like I would need to know that they did not see this room beforehand. I would need to know all of the controlled factors of this because it was a controlled study. They had 100% not seen the room before. It was far away, like they would be in one city and this other person would be like 20 states away. Like that is fascinating. I want to believe that. I really do. Because I think that 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 would be super interesting. But it's just a little, it's a little perfect. But I also think that the human mind is incredible. So I'm going to say this is a like a plausible thing. I'm going to pull out like a like a Mythbusters term and be like, this is plausible. Although a lot of their studies weren't specifically stated, there were a lot of them conducted to attain intelligence through remote viewing. So they did actually use remote viewing in the military and apparently crazy. had some success with it. They were warning the army, the Marines... Uh, the FBI, the NSA, they were like, hey, you guys need to like start planning to train your agents and your your military personnel on how to detect this sort of thing and protect yourselves from enemies using this. That is insane. I would have never thought that this would be something used. But again, this is the same agency that was like, we time traveled. <laughs> Good for you. So now we're going to talk about the infamous MKUltra, because with all of that aside, this is really our proof that the CIA has and possibly does experiment on unwilling participants. It all goes back to Nazi Germany, a really fucked up time. It's no secret that Nazi scientists experimented on Jews in death camps. In Auschwitz and Dachau, very specific types of experiments were taking place, whose methods were then used by the CIA. Drugs like LSD, barbiturates, morphine, and mescaline were used on Jews and Russian prisoners to help these fuckers, aka the Nazis, develop something like a truth serum. They wanted to strip away people's mental capacity for free will. After the war ended, a lot of these Nazi scientists were spared persecution if they agreed to work on yet another secret CIA study called Project Paperclip. Oh my god. I'm so sick of these stupid names that they're creating. They were basically making advanced weaponry and other deadly equipment for the U.S. military. This is how American scientists learned about what they were developing, and they basically wanted in. In 1943, a truth drug in quotes, I say that loosely, was put into production and then experimentation during Project Chatter. Oh my god. <laughs> Project Paperclip, Project Chatter. I can see how a truth serum would be super effective, right? But we're doing this on people, I assume, are not, you know, voluntary. Oh, well, <laughs> funny you should say that. Yes, Project Chatter 
another secret project. They used LSD-25 and other drugs like, I'm so sorry if I butcher these names, anabasin, scopamoline, and mescaline on people to figure out which one would be most effective in getting the truth out of them. In 1953, this project got absorbed into MKUltra. It was exactly what Project Chatter was, but there really was no means to an end with their testing. Their goal was to literally brainwash people and psychologically torture them to learn how to better interrogate prisoners, people, anyone really. They would give their victims ridiculously high doses of hallucinogenics and other substances like heroin, alcohol, and morphine, and then subject them to electroshock therapy, hypnosis, and sexual and emotional abuse and many other fucked up torture methods. Oh my god. They would basically illegally kidnap US and Canadian citizens to run tests on them. The scientists even ran tests on each other and many people died because of this. On one occasion, Frank Olson, a biological weapons researcher, was given LSD in 1953 and they didn't tell him. I guess bye-bye consent even to your colleagues. A week later, he fell 13 stories and died, thanks to a psychotic, depressive episode brought on by the hallucinogenics. In some cases, they even kidnapped people who were seen as enemies or expendable, and brought them to these secret camps that they had that were run in different countries or on islands to avoid legal prosecution because they knew what they were doing was wrong. So, th yeah, they, I was going to say, they knew. They knew that this was fucked. That's why they went to different countries. These places were very literally experimenting with mind control. Like I said earlier, thanks to Watergate in 1973, or thanks to Watergate, I don't know if that's the best phrasing, the director of the CIA went into a tizzy and told his agents to destroy everything having to do with MKUltra. And they, they really thought they did. They thought they got off scotch-free. What the CIA didn't realize is that 20,000 documents pertaining to the project were misfiled with finance. Oops. I feel like that had to have been a purposeful, like, an agent who was uncomfortable but couldn't say anything was like, what if I, what if I put these 20,000 documents accidentally in the wrong place? Sorry. It's my first day. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> You don't just misfile 20,000 documents. Like, <laughs> this doesn't happen. You do if someone tells you to. In 1977, they were discovered and brought to the Senate hearings of the same year. Basically, the hearings that brought about the Freedom of Information Act. Experts have concluded that Charles Manson was a victim of MKUltra, which is why he knew how to use LSD to change the neural pathways of his followers' brains. He would give them hallucinogenics like LSD and pretend to take it with them, pretend to start the trip with them, and then as soon as they started tripping, he would whisper things in their ears and change their perception of reality, which is why a lot of them thought he was the second coming of Jesus Christ or whatever it was. He was holy and divine and whatever, because he changed their brainwaves. He, he caused them to see things in him that weren't there. And people think he knew how to do that. And he knew how to brainwash these people in such an immense way because of MKUltra. The CIA is believed to either manipulate or kidnap people, the ones that they use for these experiments, and then they basically discard the ones that don't respond well back into society, like we saw with the guy who was given LSD 
in MKUltra. So they believe that Charles Manson was one of the people who didn't take well, and he was basically thrown back out on the street. Well, be that as it may, fuck that guy. (laughs) Yes. Informed consent, or even really consent, wasn't a thing back in the good old days. So, for instance, the man who fathered the medical specialty of gynecology in the mid-1800s learned so much about female reproductive organs because he surgically experimented on enslaved women from Africa without giving them any sort of sedative. Oh my god. That's how we have gynecology. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. And another instance... A woman in 1874 went to a doctor for cancer. There was an ulcer in her head, but instead of treating her, he stuck electrode needles into the area of her brain that was exposed after surgery, just for funsies, just to see what would happen. And she died. Oh, that poor woman. In 1949, the Atomic Energy Commission launched Operation Green Run, where they released toxic chemicals into the atmosphere just to see what would happen. And three small towns were fatally affected, and I assume that the environment never fully recovered. Operation Green. That's run. That sounds oh, Green Run. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say Green. It sounds like very eco-friendly, and then releases toxic chemicals. Which also, who the fuck comes up with that idea? <laughs> they they were like, yeah, we want to see what effect this has on the environment. Do it to yourself, not innocent people. It's no different than the nuclear testings that were going on, and how many towns and cities were affected from that. And then, I mean, this one makes me really angry. In 1950 to 1973, a large chunk of time, Dr. Robert Heath conducted experiments on patients with schizophrenia and prisoners from the state penitentiary in Louisiana. He was funded by the Army to give them LSD and a dopamine inhibitor while he put electrodes into their brains while taking EEG readings. He was also trying to help figure out how to better interrogate people. Hee <laughs> hee. So for 23 years, he tested on patients. And prisoners, yes. With schizophrenia. And we wonder why crime is so bad in this country. Because, oh my um, God. What the fuck is wrong with him? So again, some theories about Stephen's case is that he was a part of an experiment, much like MK Ultra or one of these other fuck shits which would explain both his memory loss and where he might have been and his fascination with quantum physics. Others will go as far as to say that he fits into the missing 411 cases and that those cave systems, like I said earlier, could be used to experiment on people like him. Wow. (laughs) With all that said and done, I'm the paranormal believer here, but I think there's something to be said about government experiments and weird disappearances i just i honestly it it fucks me up yeah, <laughs> it really I mean, fucks me up we our history like the world's history is riddled with fuckery in the science and and psychology realm right like mm-hmm. when we read and open up our history books we're faced with the really shitty reality that people experimented on other human beings with or without their their consent unfortunately usually it was without their consent and then we get all of these theories in which are they possibly true that's that's the part that i'm like fuck i don't know like they could be but we don't know This stuff was happening everywhere. I mean, even as late as the 1980s. I mean, just look at the Willowbrook State School in Staten Island. They had 
mentally, I would say, and intellectually disabled kids that were wards of the state that went to this school or even had parents that couldn't properly take care of them because they had uh, very severe Down syndrome, etc. And so they were sent to Willowbrook and there was unauthorized hepatitis testing and loads of other testing happening. And two PBS investigative journalists broke into the school to report on what was happening to get it shut down. I mean, like, even to the point where a man named Andre Rand was, like, kidnapping these kids and killing them and trigger warning raping them and burying them in the old tuberculosis tunnels of the hospital. And it created an urban legend. Like, this stuff happens and has been happening. I mean, even I just found out, uh, like, a couple weeks ago that we used to bring indigenous people from the Philippines and other island areas and create human zoos. And there was one in Staten Island. So it's this happens more than you would think. And it's hard to hear. It's hard to listen to. But it's so important to understand that it probably still is happening and we don't know it. Humans really are the scariest monster. I honestly... Whenever I go to a haunted location, like every time I've been to Goatman's Bridge in Denton, Texas, I'm not scared of the ghosts. I'm scared of the people. No, seriously. Let me meet Goatman. But like if there's a dude under the bridge, I'm out of there. The thing is, too, is what I love about works of fiction is they're always loosely or not so loosely based on reality. And we have so many horror movies based on human experimentation. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like I keep saying, there is the Freedom of Information Act, but I do think that the CIA is still doing shit. And I mean, there there are so many true crime cases like D.V. Cooper and the Somerton Man. I think Somerton has been solved, but like there are so many true crime cases that go like all the way up until like the early 2000s, even to now that we're like, okay, something happened. Like, this wasn't a civilian, right? Right. I mean, I mean, also, that's why these conversations are so important. Not only do you get to talk about it with people, but you're also having a healthy discussion on possibly what could still be happening. And if it's still happening, then what can we do about it? And if it's just something that's happened in history and something that's not happening now, it needs to be brought up because this was something that was really fucked up. And this is why I want to do an entire season on The Missing 411, because it makes me feel like something else is going on. I mean, there are so many mysterious disappearances, even in these triangles. And Stephen, I, and I, I, will, I will drill this point home. He disappeared in the 70s. That was like peak season for the CIA mm -hmm. to be kidnapping people and experimenting on them. And like up until now, I like up until researching MKUltra and all of this, I kind of brushed off people's claims of, okay, but the CIA, you know, the CIA. And now I just, I just don't know. And that's terrifying. <laughs> please, please, if we go missing, you know where to look. It's it, it, well, it, it also sounds like we are touching us like a surface level. Like I said, there's so much we don't know. There are so many documents that are still being unclassified. Like recently, the CIA came out and was like, oh, yeah, Kennedy, mm, we did that. <laughs> I guess that means that we just have more research to do. 
Oh, absolutely. So I think a very important part of the context I've provided with the legal government experimentation on people is not only ley lines and portals and all of that jazz, but the phenomena of cursed or haunted towns being heavily patrolled by law enforcement officials. Places like Dudley Town in Connecticut, where if you even try to go near it, you'll be arrested on the spot, or you try to ask any locals about it, they tell you to shut up and leave their town. I just, I think there's so much to it, and we need an entire episode. We might even need an entire season, but... Next episode, we're going to be deep diving into more haunted forests, into Dudley Town, Colt House, and even the suicide forest in Japan. So for today, we're going to close the case file on Stephen Kubaki. Don't forget to leave us a nice review because we're sensitive and I'll cry and I already have enough to cry about. So <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Follow us on TikTok, haunted underscore detective, and follow Pamela, the Miss Pamela J, on TikTok as well. Another thing I want to talk about is a company that I'm going to be partnering with called Oversubscribe. Instead of, you know, relying on Patreon and you guys giving us money and not seeing anything back and then us feeling sleazy about that, Oversubscribe is a database that we use for crowdfunding where you invest in us as a brand and a business and you see return on that. So you get money back from what you invest in us because instead of just being someone who donates to the show and to us as creators, you are investors in our vision. It will help us pay for editing, get YouTube videos off the ground, plan meetups, and even distribute merchandise. So if that's something you're interested in, it will be linked in the description of this show. So this is not an advertisement. It's actually something we're like really doing and it will really, really help because me personally, I want to be able to focus more time on this and to give you guys more than we already are. So anyways, thank you so much for listening and I hope everyone is able to sleep tonight without their lights on. Turn your lights on. Turn them on. I'm going to turn them on. Turn, just keep, get the little uh, night light. Get a little night light. Get a little night light.